And you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Coming to you from the shores of the Indian River on Florida's beautiful Treasure Coast. And bringing you the news behind the news, the story behind the story. Here to convince you that reality is usually scoffed at and illusion is usually king. We're streaming live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast directories. And you can follow me on Twitter at RightNowJimDawes. Shoot me an email. The address is rightnowjimdaws at gmail.com or call the vent line and get something off your chest at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. Well, um, I haven't covered the Daytona 500 much. Um it got, I, I covered uh, the first day of it uh, that was rained out, uh, but after the epic arrival of Donald Trump making a low pass over the assembled crowd uh, in Air Force One and then taking a, a pace lap around to uh, to start the race in the beast. Uh, then, uh, you know, we got to watch the color weather radar go round and round. And uh, the, the the race was rained out on Sunday, and uh, they had to pick it up again Monday. And I didn't say uh, much about it because uh, the the uh, the wreck end or the uh, race ended with a epic epic crash. And um, we now know that uh, Ryan Newman, who was leading going uh, off of the last turn, headed to the to the checkered flag, uh, is. After that, uh, that wreck awake and speaking and, uh, and, uh, expected to make a full recovery. So now I can say what I wanted to be said. And that is we had to wait for that race, but that was exactly what NASCAR fans go there to see. There will probably never be, <laughs> Uh, that's a big statement, but there will probably never be uh, as dramatic a finish in any stock car race ever. There never has been, and there probably never will be again. What we saw there coming into that last lap was what every NASCAR fan goes to the race hoping to see. You had the leader coming off the last turn, fighting off two um, uh, two other racers, get pushed from the rear end, get airborne, get hit by another car, and slide across the finish line on his roof with uh, sparks going everywhere and finished in fourth place. That uh, is old-time racing right there. Uh, it, you know, I'm so grateful that, uh, that Ryan Newman uh, is going to fully recover. And a lot of people say, "Oh, Jim, you're being uh, you're being insensitive and you're being ghoulish." Well, you know what? Stock car racing is a dangerous sport. It has always been a dangerous sport. It has only been in this last generation uh, where they have really focused on making it safer after uh, Dale Earnhardt uh, uh, getting killed. Uh, but prior to that. Wrecks and injuries and even deaths were just part of the sport. And, and those, uh, those racers that, uh, that strapped themselves into those cars are well aware of that. 
and they're well aware of why the fans come there. They, they come there to see the racing. Yes, but they also come there, uh, on the specter, the possibility that there is going to be an epic crash and Ryan Newman's crash sliding across the finish line on his hood, throwing sparks everywhere and then, uh, igniting in a fireball. I guess you'd have to call it the most epic crash in NASCAR history. Brad Kozlowski, who, uh, by the, the time the race was over with had withdrawn, uh, was over on ESPN. And here's what he had to say about, uh, um, the, the race and the finish. You know, Adam racing is dangerous, you know, anywhere, whether it's a short track, a road course, let alone a super speedway, but it does seem that the, the super speedway tracks or the restricted plate tracks, Daytona and day have just that another, you know, level, that another notch where they get, you know, so chaotic at the end. The speeds are consistently fast. You know, you, you think of the intermediate tracks, maybe like a Michigan, the, the speeds there are just as fast as they are at, uh, you know, Talladega or Daytona, but the speeds there slow down a little bit in the corners. Daytona and Talladega, you don't slow down. So you're always going 200 mile an hour. And, and the cars are just so close together. You're just set up for, for these accidents. But uh, certainly at those races, to your point, Adam, you are more in harm's way than other tracks. So congratulations to, uh, to Ryan Newman for uh, scoring the most epic crash in NASCAR history that will go down on the highlight reels. Uh, I'm wishing you a, a speedy recovery and a quick return to the track. Well, uh, in another sign that we're living in the end stages of Western civilization, the Boy Scouts of America yesterday declared bankruptcy because they have been uh, just besieged with these lawsuits from uh, ambulance chasing lawyers accusing uh, the scouts of um, not being sufficiently diligent in preventing pedophiles from becoming scoutmasters. Now, you got to put all of this in context. The, the Boy Scouts of America were founded back in uh, 1910. And for about a hundred years, uh, they didn't have any, uh, problems with, uh, pedophile scoutmasters. And then in 2013, uh, lawyers sued them to, uh, end a ban on homosexual boy scouts. They had to allow, uh, openly declared homosexual boy scouts into the organization. And then a couple of years later, they were sued and had to end a ban on homosexual scout masters. So they were forced by uh, our legal system to put uh, avowed and declared homosexuals in charge of supervising um, uh, young boys and men out in the woods. Then, of course, in 2016, we had to allow transgender scouts. And I'm not sure if they were girls that thought they were boys or boys that thought they were girls. But uh, that that uh, another wall fell. And then, uh, as was inevitable, just seven years after uh, originally allowing uh, scouts in that uh, were uh, sexually attracted to other boys, now in 2020, the um, the Boy Scouts of America have declared bankruptcy over a raft, a avalanche of sexual abuse lawsuits. And this is a, this is just a, um, 
uh, a confluence of events, uh, and it's uh, you know largely because of our predatory legal system and largely because of our cultural uh, degeneracy where anything goes and no standards are ever allowed to be upheld because you might hurt someone's feelings. So I hope the Boy Scouts of America are able to recover from this. I hope we can uh, return to a wholesome development of boys and young men. The Boy Scouts of America have done uh, uh, great work for almost a century before they have been drugged down into the sewer by our uh, our modern degenerate society. Well, yesterday, the talk of the town is that Donald Trump uh, declared clemency for, uh, I think it was 11 total um, people that were caught up in the criminal justice system that is uh, that has really shown its ass during Donald Trump's presidency. And he, uh, in addition to uh, several low-level uh, violators, he also uh, pardoned or uh, gave clemency to several high-profile um, con- or, or, or uh, felons, including Rod Blagojevich, the former governor of Illinois, that was uh, caught on tape saying that he was uh, after after Barack Obama was elected president, uh, Blagojevich was caught on tape on the telephone saying that he was uh, going to get something in return for uh, his appointment to Obama's uh, vacated Senate seat. Now, I listened to that tape, and I never heard Blagojevich say that he was going to do it for his personal enrichment. It sounded like he was going to do it for political purposes, and if anybody believes that that's not how these things are done, they're badly naive. Blagojevich said, I've got this uh, thing here. It's golden, and I'm going to get something in return. Uh, he was talking quite clearly in the context of uh, uh, you know politics. And that is exactly how governors um, amass and exercise political power. But... Um, they uh, they put Blagojevich in jail for 14 years. He served eight years of that. I think eight year sentence um, for that crime is uh, is enough. And I think uh, Blagojevich was uh, due to be uh, granted clemency. On a more positive note, the president also uh, granted a pardon to Bernie Carrick, former um, police commissioner in New York City, under the mayorship of Rudy Giuliani. Uh, Carrick had pleaded, pled guilty to failing to report some renovations to his apartments that were done uh, gratis. And I never was able to determine what exactly Bernie Carrick was supposed to have done on the, uh, the pro part of that quid. Uh, but uh, Bernie Carrick, um, he served his time and uh, now he has had his, uh, his full rights to citizenship restored. There was also a uh, a pardon for uh, Michael Milken, the junk bond king from back in the 1980s, the guy that uh, Wall Street uh, and the Gordon Gecko character were based on. He was guilty and uh, convicted of insider trading, which was uh, rampant 
on Wall Street back in those days. And uh, I guess that uh, Michael Milken was granted this pardon because of all the good work he's done since uh, since coming out of jail. He served, I think, a couple of years after he turned state's evidence on a bunch of uh, other Wall Street cheats and crooks. And uh, after he got out of jail, he he got big into philanthropy and uh, good works. And maybe he has uh, earned a pardon. Um, he certainly did a lot of damage to a lot of, a lot of investors. While we're on the topic of uh, criminal justice, well, let's, uh, let's have a break real quick and then we'll get to Roger Stone sentencing. Uh, run on over to America first radio dot shop. That's America first radio dot shop and get yourself a banana bag oral solution. That'll uh, rehydrate you. If you're suffering from, a medical condition that leaves you dehydrated or uh, an illness such as the flu or stomach virus that, uh, that leaves you dehydrated. This is a great way to avoid a trip to the hospital um, and, and uh, where you have to get an IV. This solution is uh, full of B vitamin complex and C vitamin complex and other um, solutions that will restore your energy and your uh, and and your uh, rehydrate you, and you want to keep this in your medicine chest uh, in case you get sick or in case you uh, you party too much out in the town and suffering from a hangover. Go to AmericaFirstRadio.shop. That's AmericaFirstRadio.shop, and click on the banana bag oral solution and get yours today. You'll get uh, five of these uh, oral solutions for just $15.50, and shipping is free. So, Judge Amy Berman Jackson, uh, the uh, the grim reaper for the deep state and Obama's um, uh, vet, uh, exactor of vengeance, has determined that uh, Roger Stone's sentencing will go forward despite... Roger Stone's request for a new trial after it's been discovered that uh, the foreman of the jury in the Roger Stone case was uh, had lied to get on the jury and was a, uh, a deep state partisan that uh, had had posted all over social media both before and during the trial about her her bias in this case. This uh, this. If there is any justice at all in Amy Merman Jackson's courtroom, and I'm not sure that there is, Roger Stone will most certainly get a new trial. But despite the fact that um, Stone's lawyers have filed this motion, Amy Merman Jackson says that uh, she's going to go forward with the sentencing. Now, I pretty much expect that Amy Berman Jackson is going to drop uh, the hammer on Roger Stone and and uh, go forward with this maximum sentence that she can possibly impose. And then she's going to rule on the validity of this motion for a new trial. So even if she grants this motion for a new trial, she will have prejudiced, prejudiced any future jury who will almost undoubtedly know that Roger Stone was sentenced uh, quite harshly on his previous conviction. What would be the point 
of going forward with a new tr- with a with a, the sentencing while there is a motion for a new trial pending. If it were not just um, you know continuing with this pattern from Amy Berman Jackson to uh, to be the enforcer for Obama's deep state. There's no advantage to it. You've got a motion pending before you for a new trial. Why not just postpone the sentencing until after you've considered that motion? Because Amy Berman Jackson is doing everything in her power, which is considerable, to make sure that Roger Stone uh, suffers for his association with Donald Trump and for the things that he has previously said about the deep state and about the Clintons and Obamas. Here, here's just a, a, a brief example of that. George Soros has penetrated the Trump White House. Soros has planted a mole infiltrating the national security apparatus. A woman named Fiona Hill, who has uh, a Harvard background, has been on the Soros payroll and the payroll of the Open Society Institute, uh, has been brought into the Trump White House by General McMaster. The reason this is significant uh, is because, as you know, the Hungarian government has been fighting the Open Society Institute, which is a front in Hungary to destabilize the Hungarian government. Uh, And uh, I am told uh, from the best possible sources in the Trump White House that only days ago in a showdown meeting, this woman, Fiona Hill, now on the national security uh, uh, staff, argued that she was a Russian expert and that the Trump administration must oppose the Hungarian efforts to crack down and expose on the so-called Open Society Institute. That's the group that overthrew Ukraine. That's the group that was openly behind the Arab Spring. That's the group openly behind ending the free press here. That's the group openly behind funding the cop killer Black Lives Matter groups and literally funding the groups chanting well, if you're if you're on the air saying things like Roger Stone just said, and he he has uh, you know said a lot of these things, these statements that you're just not allowed to utter if you're uh, you know part of the inside crowd in Washington D.C., then you better live at the foot of the cross because if they get a chance to get you, they will get you, and uh, they've got Roger Stone in front of Obama's enforcer there in that court in Washington D.C. And she's doing everything she can to make sure that Roger Stone spends the rest of his life in jail. I would uh, fully expect that somehow she's going to find some rationale for not granting Roger Stone a new trial. She already turned down one motion for a new trial prior to um, all of the news coverage about this biased juror. And uh, there's no reason not to expect that she won't do it again. So Barack Obama took to Twitter yesterday, and he announced that 11 years ago today, near the bottom of the worst recession in generations, I signed the Recovery Act, paving the way for more than a decade of economic growth and the longest streak of job creation in American history. So this is another case of the uh, Obama crowd trying to take credit for this booming economy. Um, Yes, (laughs) 
You could say that uh, that Obama created jobs during his eight years, but it was the weakest, most anemic economic recovery after a recession in our country's history. And normally after as deep a recession as George W. Bush threw us into, as he uh, walked out the door and shoveled uh, trillions of dollars to the Wall Street crowd, Normally, after you have a deep recession uh, like that, you have a robust recovery. Well, that wasn't the case with Barack Obama. Barack Obama piled on tax increases and increases in regulation and crippled the economy. And never, not once in his eight years of presidency, had a, uh, a GDP increase of, uh, of 3%. So Bush, on his way out the door, uh, you know, the, the market crashed and he shoveled trillions in taxpayer monies to Wall Street. And then when Obama came in, he turned around and shoveled hundreds of billions. I think it was about $900 billion to his, uh, his Democrat cronies with these so, the so-called stimulus bill, which was an utter and complete failure. I've got a little bit of experience in that. Uh, during that time, I was uh, assigned as the construction project manager for uh, the Atlanta Fire Department. I was building four fire stations and renovating nine others. And I actually did have some shovel-ready projects that uh, that I uh, had grant writers apply for through the, um, through the so-called uh, uh, Recovery Act. And then I watched as uh, as my actual shovel-ready projects were denied while uh, projects that were just dreamed up out of thin air by uh, Democrat cronies were funded. And that money was uh, largely wasted and gone to administrative costs and, and these environmental groups and social justice groups. And uh, very, they had very little to show for it, which Barack Obama had to admit many years later that uh, there wasn't a lot of actual capital projects to show for this $900 billion stimulus plan that he called uh, the Recovery Act. We see firsthand what happens when you try and permit a project in this country. And um, it can delay things from months to years, and in many cases, uh, it can cause the project to be abandoned. Uh, I'm sure that when you implemented the Recovery Act, your staff briefed you on many of the challenges of the permitting process and the impact on putting Americans back to work. And that's that's exactly what we see in American businesses. Well. Shovel, shovel ready was not as uh, <laughs> shovel ready as we expected. Uh-huh. They had almost nothing to show for that $900 billion that was just shoveled out to Democrat cronies and constituencies and special interest groups. I had uh, fire stations that I already had planned and permitted and ready to go. And uh, there was no money for that. But uh, you turned around and looked at these uh, these environmental groups that uh, just dreamed up projects out of thin air. And uh, Barack Obama's uh, Recovery Act was shoveling money to them as hard as they could while the economy was uh, struggling to to uh, come back online and the globalists were shoveling our jobs overseas. When somebody says, like 
the person you just mentioned, who I'm not going to advertise for, that he's going to bring all these jobs back. Well, how exactly are you going to do that? What are you going to do? There's, the, there's no answer to it. He just says, well, I'm going to, I'm going to negotiate a better deal. Well, how, what, how exactly are you going to negotiate that? Governments do not create jobs. Government doesn't create wealth. Government provides services, yes, but they take wealth. And the way that you rev an economy up is uh, by lowering taxes and decreasing uh, regulations just like this president did. we got to run out to a break. Stick with us. We'll be right back after these two messages on the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network. As you make plans this season, consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get the results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 20 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. The wrecking behind Chase Elliott around. Spinning around. Still no green. Still green. Still green, and here they come. And here comes Blaney. Ryan Blaney up behind Ryan Newman trying to get him to Hamlin. Newman backed up to Blaney. Big run coming here. To the inside. Newman to the front. Nothing Denny Hamlin could do. What can Ryan Blaney now do? Here comes a push from Denny Hamlin. Oh, this thing's not over yet. Not at all. Ryan Newman off turn four for the final time. Blaney to the outside. To the inside. Here comes Hamlin up the outside. Crash into the wall. Into the air. Goes Newman. Upside down. In a shower of sparks on his roof. Ryan Newman comes across the line. Fourth. Now he's in play. And comes to rest. Scoring. Unofficial between Hamlin and Blaney as far as who crossed the finish line first. You're seeing uh, gasoline pouring from the car right next to a fire that the Sparks have started. And here come the rescue crews. Newman got turned, went up in the air as he came down, was hit by another car and launched skyward, coming down on his roof. The AMR safety team is there quickly to attend to Ryan Newman. And they're now trying to get Denny Hamlin. Well, congratulations, Ryan Newman, on the most epic finish in stock car racing history. Sliding across 
the finish line in the Daytona 500 to finish fourth, uh, spewing sparks in your wake. So grateful that he's going to fully recover, and uh, and that will go down in history as uh, the most epic finish of a stock car race. So I got a quick correction I need to make. Uh, on yesterday's show, I, I was pointing out this uh, big rally that Bernie Sanders had had, had one of these uh, first ever that I've seen uh, rallies that rivaled Donald Trump. I said that it uh, had taken place in Nevada. I was mistaken. That, that rally, and I'm not sure why Bernie uh, took time out from his schedule in Nevada to go up to Washington, but that rally was actually in Tacoma. It was in the, in the Tacoma Dome right outside of Seattle. And, uh, and it was 17,000 people inside the Tacoma Dome, which is uh, just unheard of for the Democrats. I did a little bit more research into that, and I, turned out, uh, I discovered that what that really was was a free concert by one of these grunge bands that attracted you know all of these uh, uh, this grunge crowd up in uh, the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, and they also allowed Bernie to speak at the concert. <laughs> it would have been very similar to saying that, uh, Donald Trump held a rally in Daytona this weekend that was attended by 200,000 people. And oh, by the way, they had a, a stock car race there as well. So this wasn't strictly speaking a Bernie rally. This was a concert uh, that uh, people came to, and uh, they also had Bernie Sanders speaking there. But you can't deny that old Bernie's doing pretty good for uh, you know a, a communist. He is uh, leading all of the rivals in the Democrat fields nationwide by twelve points, and uh, the the pure opposite of Bernie Sanders in the form of. Billionaire oligarch Michael Bloomberg has now pulled past Joe Biden into second place. He's a few points ahead of Biden, and Biden's a few points ahead of Buttigieg in these national polls. But Bernie Sanders, the Democrat socialist so-called, he's a, he's a, a communist, is leading the field by 12 points. And this is setting up an epic confrontation. We've got a, a self-avowed socialist that's, uh, that's going up against a self-avowed uh, oligarch from the financial sector that's literally got unlimited amounts of money he could spend. If Michael Bloomberg, uh, he can't spend as much money on this race as he is willing to spend. If he bought up all of the airtime and paid off all of the interest groups and hired all of the consultants and bought all the polls, he could not, literally could not spend all of the money that he's willing to spend on this race. And you got old Bernie Sanders out there appealing to these uh, these Bernie bros and these millennials that, uh, you know, offering them free stuff and uh, student loan forgiveness and free health care and a government job and a minimum wage and, uh, you know, unlimited amount of things that he can promise for free. And, uh, it, you know, it, this is going to be such a, a polarized race because you've got these Bernie, uh, bros that are over there believing, you know, they're voting for free stuff. And then on the other side, you've got 
these people that are going to vote for Michael Bloomberg because they believe that he uh, he can beat Trump because he can bring unlimited money to the party. It is going to be something to watch. And the Democrats who have spent all of this campaign and, and, the, and the one in 2016 as well, denouncing the, uh, the influence of big money in politics have now determined that they love big money in politics. They're, they're all for this. Michael Bloomberg is, is, is buying up every, uh, consultant, Democrat politic, uh, political consultant on the scene. He's putting on these huge, uh, banquets, uh, that, you know, he calls rallies to try to get people in the door. You even have, uh, second amendment supporters, uh, attending these rallies because he's, he's serving free beer <laughs> as, as an aside, uh, we also learned that uh, Michael Bloomberg puts ice in his beer. That ought to be disqualifying right there because that's literally a, uh, a lunatic. But it, <laughs> it, it's just hilarious to watch all of these Democrats suddenly spin on their heels and now they're for everything that they claimed to be against. And Michael Bloomberg has literally said in his political career, all of the things that they accused Donald Trump of believing. They got Michael Bloomberg on videotape saying the things that the Democrats imagine that Donald Trump believes. But because, you know, the media has whipped these Democrats in such an anti-Trump frenzy, they're willing to swallow all of their professed beliefs and, and ideologies and get on the Bloomberg money train. The problem is there's a, a, a fairly large constituency, especially when you add Elizabeth Warren's uh, socialist supporters to Bernie Sanders that, uh, that will never support Michael Bloomberg. And where do they go after Michael Bloomberg steals this nomination from Bernie Sanders? If Bernie Sanders doesn't show up in Milwaukee with enough delegates to take the nomination outright, he most certainly will have it stolen from him. <laughs> what do you think is going to be the result of that? I think uh, the immediate result is that there's going to be riots in Milwaukee, and the secondary result is that a lot of those Bernie bros are either going to stay home on November 3rd or they're going to vote for Donald Trump as a as a uh, a vote of uh revenge also you know if you're faced with uh, one oligarch that's got unlimited billions of dollars that uh is a globalist that uh, has shipped jobs overseas that is all for open borders that drives down wages and you're you know um one of the bernie bros Donald Trump, who's worth, you know, two or three billion dollars and has actually lost a net worth while he has served as president, he wouldn't look like such a bad alternative by comparison. And Bloomberg really is an arrogant ass. Uh, we played some clips for you yesterday. I, I, I didn't play you this clip where Bloomberg is insulting farmers and factory workers and saying, you know, that they don't 
have enough gray matter for the modern economy. I'll play it for you here. It's about one minute long. And we could teach processes. I could teach anybody, even people in this room, so no offense intended, to, to be a farmer. You, it's a process. You dig a hole, you put a seed in, you put dirt on top, add water, up comes the corn. Then we had 300, you could learn that. Then, then um, you have 300 years of the industrial society. Uh, you put the piece of metal on the lathe, you turn the crank and the direction of the arrow, and you can have a job. And, and we created a lot of jobs, one point. 98% of the world worked in, uh, in agriculture today. It's 2% in the United States. Uh, now comes the information economy. And the information economy is fundamentally different because it's built around replacing people with technology. And the skill sets that you have to learn are how to think and analyze. And that is a whole degree level different you have to have a different skill set. You have to have a lot more gray map. What an arrogant buffoon. You know, he thinks because uh, he came along during this uh, financial services flim flam that uh, we've allowed to take root on Wall Street that he is some sort of genius. He wouldn't last a week actually on a working farm. He wouldn't be able to figure things out. He wouldn't be able to uh, do the work. He wouldn't be able to get up and work the long hours. He is an arrogant ass. And I heard Victor Davis Hanson, who we used to have on this show, but now is uh, too, in too great a demand uh, to come back on. But he nevertheless is one of my favorite uh, thinkers because he actually does sort of uh, straddle the two worlds between um, scholarship and, um, you know, the working world. He was on Tucker's show commenting, on Michael Bloomberg's insult. Well, I think what Michael Bloomberg said in the past, what he says in the present, what he says he said in the past are three different things. So I think he thought he was giving a history of 3,000 years of, you know, agriculture, labor, etc. But it was just a, a revelation into his soul, and it wasn't pretty because he said, I can teach anybody in this Oxford room to be a farmer. He couldn't. And the idea that ancient or modern, you dropped a seed in the ground and presto, corn sprouted is ridiculous. I mean, farmers then and now did deal with weather, they deal with climate, they deal with soil chemistry, they deal with pests, they deal with man, they deal with market, they deal with government. It requires the most skill sets of any profession in the world. And some of the most brilliant things of the ancient world, Columella, Theophrastus, Vero, are scientific treatises on farming. And the idea that that Michael Bloomberg could write all of that off as sort of not enough gray matter. And when he says that he was talking only about the past, but he used the present tense, I could teach you in this room. And then he said that people farming in the past, and by implication, the present didn't have the same degree of skill sets or gray matter is absurd. Today's farmers, Tucker, they're, they're masters of GPS. They calibrate sophisticated machines to very small tolerances and calibrations. They use GPS, computers. They're the most brilliant people I've met in the world. I had a, a very strange life because I was schizophrenic. I lived on this farm and I, where I'm speaking today, and then I, I, I had a world of academics. And I can tell you, and I don't want to be 
mean-spirited, but the people that I knew that, that made it in farming were so much brighter, so much more skilled than the people who were tenure professors. Just to, it's just truth. I'm not deprecating professors, but so, as a so person who has a PhD, I can so tell you it's a lot easier to be out. a PhD than it is a farmer. They're the most brilliant, courageous idea people, that- and they live in a landscape so much different than Michael Bloomberg's Manhattan. They did deal with a lot of strange and tough people. And so they, they, they combined the intellect with physical courage. And I, yes. I did pretty well in academia, but I couldn't compete with people in farming. They were too smart and too courageous for me. It's just funny how smart Michael Bloomberg thinks he is. It is and we're almost out of time. He strikes me as a kind of a clever little moron. But is Michael Bloomberg regarded among smart people as one of them? Like a genius of some kind? I don't think so. I, I, what was his candidate supposed to do? Was supposed to appeal to moderates? He's offended professional women. He's offended minority youth. He's offended people who work with their hands. He's offended farming. And you get it. You're, you're starting to see that the wit and wisdom of Michael Bloomberg is really a, a, a synopsis of a very isolated, insulated, egomaniac narcissist. And I don't understand this Democratic primary. They lectured us about white billionaires and white privilege, and now they're almost offshore or outsourcing their primaries to the epitome of everything they said they hated. It's a cruel joke. (laughs) (laughs) It is a cruel joke. The Democrat Party has become nothing more than a cruel joke. And I think uh, Tucker uh, summed it up there. He's a, a, a clever little buffoon. Has no social skills whatsoever. He's going to be on that debate stage tonight. I'm not going to miss that. It's going to be very interesting to see if uh, he uh, doesn't stand on a box because uh, if he doesn't, he's going to be, you know, looking over his uh, his his little podium there on the stage. Maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll lower the podiums for everybody and everybody else can uh, stoop over. I was considering that uh, that insult that Bloomberg put forward, uh, and it reminded me of an old Paul Harvey uh, vignette that I want to play for you here. We're going to play it after we come back. I want to remind you first to go over to AmericaFirstRadio.shop. That's AmericaFirstRadio.shop. And if you will click on the Professional Kitchen Knife Sharpening Tool, this is a fantastic product that will keep all your blades uh, perfect, perfectly sharpened. If you're using one of those uh, those little uh, steels that uh, come with a nice set, you won't get a, a good blade. Uh, you'll get something that you can work with. And if you're using one of those uh, little things that you run your knife back and forth through, you're gonna you're gonna destroy your blade. If you've got some good knives at home, including your kitchen knives or your hunting knives or your work knives, this is the way to go. It's a professional kitchen knife sharpening tool. It comes with four whetstones and a mount. That will hold your knife perfectly in place while you apply a perfect edge. Go to AmericaFirstRadio.shop today and get yours. We we offer free shipping and it'll be uh, same day as well. We've got some other products over there you want to want to check out. Go to AmericaFirstRadio.shop. So Paul Harvey, uh, apparently this degradation and insults to farmers is nothing new. And Paul Harvey um, came to their defense more than a generation ago. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God made a farmer. 
God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody willing to sit up all night with a newborn colt and watch it die and dry his eyes and say, maybe next year. I need somebody who can shape an axe handle from a persimmon sprout, shoe a horse with a hunk of car tire, who can make harness out of hay, wire, feed sacks, and shoe scraps, who planting time and harvest season will finish his 40-hour week by Tuesday noon and then pain in from tractor back, put in another 72 hours. So God made a farmer. God said, I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink-combed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. It had to be somebody who'd plow deep and straight and not cut corners. Somebody to seed, weed, feed, breed, and rake, and disc, and plow, and plant, and tie the fleece, and strain the milk. Somebody who'd bale a family together with the soft, strong bonds of sharing. Who would laugh, and then sigh, and then reply with smiling eyes when his son says that he wants to spend his life doing what dad does. So God made a farmer. You know, when you see a clever little buffoon like Michael Bloomberg that has inserted himself into the financial sector so that he can chisel other people out of uh, some of their uh, productivity, uh, insulting farmers and people who work with their hands, it's just disgusting. You know, you wonder if this guy ever stops to think where uh, his filet mignon that is on his plate comes from. And why people would take uh, another path in life than uh, than trying to chisel people out of uh, some of their um, productivity. But it's bad enough, you know, that he does what he does, and then now he's trying to buy his uh, his way into the presidency. But at the same time, he feels the need somehow to go out and insult other people who actually. Uh, make their living by the sweat of their brow and the uh, the strength of their hands and back. And as I say, this is setting up to be sort of an epic confrontation between an old communist uh, on one hand and the person of Bernie Sanders and a billionaire oligarch banker in the form of little Michael Bloomberg. And Bernie Sanders is not taking it sitting down. Mr. Bloomberg has every right in the world to run for president of the United States. He's an American citizen. But I don't think he has the right to buy this election. You know, we pride ourselves on being the longest standing democracy in the world. And we're proud of that. To me, what that means, one person, one vote. You want to run for president? You run for president. You got good ideas. Maybe you win. Maybe you don't win. But I do think it's a bit obscene that we have somebody who, by the way, chose not to contest in Iowa, in Nevada, uh, in South Carolina, in New Hampshire, where all of the candidates, we did town meetings, we're talking to thousands and thousands of people working on He said, I don't have to do that. I'm worth $60 billion. So Michael Bloomberg is running his campaign almost entirely on uh, on the television through these uh, sort of uh, brainwashing-type propaganda ads that he's running. They're all attacking Donald Trump as if, you know, that is the, uh, the, the big issue that we have to deal with. We have to take down this president who has 
uh, turned around the financial malaise that we were in and restored prosperity and jobs and the border and kept us out of foreign wars and reformed trade deals because uh, Democrats uh, say he is he's a meanie. And so what the Democrat Party has done is uh, actually recruited a meanie that's got uh, more money than all but eight people on the planet. And uh, and they're putting him up against uh, uh, an avowed socialist, uh, somebody who I would consider a communist. And uh, Bloomberg is hitting back against old Bernie. And uh, the war has begun. Democratic socialism. And the young people, I don't mean to knock young people, I wish I was one again, but young people listened to Donald Trump, uh, to uh, Bernie Sanders, and they said, yeah, democratic, that's good. Socialism, yeah, that's that social media stuff. <laughs> because our kids no longer learn civics in school, they no longer study Western history, they no longer read Western literature. We are trying to change and dumb down the system and if you don't know what happened in the past you're going to have to relive it well you know what else happened in the past um the place was ruled by people who had more money uh, than anybody else and uh and they were able to impose their prescriptions on, on um on the the nation's and that's exactly what uh, led to the collapse of uh, the the economy in this nation is when uh, the oligarchs like Bloomberg were allowed to to uh, offshore our jobs to uh, to cheap labor and then flood our markets with uh, the cheap goods. So what do you expect tonight? I expect that uh, maybe Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are going to go after Michael Bloomberg hammer and tong, and I expect that. Um, Old Booty Juice and uh, Tom Steyer. I think he made the debate stage. And um, was that it? Yeah, I think they're going to take a, a pretty softball approach to Michael Bloomberg because the last thing they want to do is become a target of his ire or alienate him uh, because uh, he funds, has funded, and and uh, will fund their campaigns after all of this is over with, old booty juice was on uh, CNN and he said as much. I usually reject. Mayor, uh, last hour, I don't know if you heard Senator Sanders, but he would not commit to accepting money from Michael Bloomberg if Michael Bloomberg is not the Democratic nominee, right? He's pledged to help whoever is. Um, would you take his money and his support if you are the nominee? Sure. Sure. Sure I would. I most certainly would. So they're not going to do anything to insult Michael Bloomberg. Uh, They're going to want his money. You know, uh, uh, George Soros' name has come up a lot in this broadcast, and he is a major uh, player in uh, the Democrat money, uh, moneyed special interests. And he's now attacking old Jeff Zuckerberg over there at Facebook because Jeff Zuckerberg is refusing to take down Uh, Donald Trump's ads declare that they're not true and take them down. So this is part of a coordinated effort by the Democrats to say, if you allow Donald Trump to reach his audience on your platform, then you are de facto in league with Donald Trump and uh, are supporting Donald Trump. He's actually accusing Jeff Zuckerberg of being a Trump supporter because he is not agreeing to censor 
Donald Trump. And this is a, this is a major threat if Soros and his left-wing billionaires are successful. Because really, at this point, as Donald Trump has pointed out repeatedly, social media is how he gets his unfiltered message past the fake news. I have total confidence in my Can attorney general. Do you agree general. with his statement that you, that you should stop speaking about Justice Department Well, issues? people like that, but, you know, everybody has the right to speak their mind. And I use social media. I guess I use it well because here I am. I'm here. And I probably wouldn't have gotten here without social media because I certainly don't get fair press. So I wouldn't have gotten here without social media. And perhaps with all of the hoaxes, you had the impeachment hoax. You had the Mueller hoax, you had the Russia, Russia, Russia nonsense, all uh, scams. And if I didn't have social media, I probably wouldn't be here. So I'm very happy with social media, but I think he's doing an excellent job. He's a strong guy. I never spoke to him about the Roger Stone situation. Roger Stone, just so you know, never worked. He didn't work for my campaign. There might have been a time way early, long before I announced, where he was somehow... Well, that sort of got off track, but uh, I'll say this about uh, Donald Trump and social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter, and um, and I, fo- I follow real Donald Trump, and very seldom do I ever see any of his tweets show up in my feed. I do, however, see uh, tweets from uh, Bloomberg and Buttigieg, and, uh, and I get uh, tweets from all of these left-wing groups, although the, I don't subscribe to them. I'm not interested in them, but I get those, but I don't get anything from Donald Trump. And I wonder if they're not uh, leading Brad Parscale and the Trump campaign over on Facebook to believe that they're getting more engagement than they actually are. I wonder if they're taking the money from the Trump campaign uh, and running the ads, but not allowing them to get the exposure that they did in 2016 and that they're leading the Trump campaign into believing uh, that they're getting. That would keep them from coming up with alternative strategies for getting to the voters. And uh, it sounds just exactly like something that Jeff Zuckerberg and the lefties over at Facebook would do. Well, it's going to be interesting to watch this debate. We'll we'll, uh, report on it fully tomorrow, and I hope you'll join us right back here on Right Now with Jim Dawes. On the Mojo 5.0 Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. As you make plans this season, consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same test hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get the results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 20 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. That's questcovid19.com. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.